Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Here's a chance to stretch our minds and horizons a bit to Africa. And who knows, maybe for a few people tonight, this may be a major turning point in your life, hearing about the inspiring, essential work of Hands at Work in Africa. It's an organisation set up by George Snayman after he and his family left their average suburban lifestyle in search of a more meaningful life. This year marks 10 years of great work by Hands at Work in Africa. George Snayman, welcome to Open House. Good evening, Lee. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. George, what was it that moved you to trade that no doubt comfortable suburban life in South Africa now more than 20 years ago? I had no idea what I was really looking for. It started in 1989 when uh, Christ, in the most unexpected way, burst into my life. And it was a, a spectacular way that grinded everything that I was busy with to a standstill and where I, I really questioned my whole life and what am I living for when I grasped and understood and maybe caught a glimpse of the deep life of God for me and His plans for my life. And that took me onto a journey which... I never knew where it was going to go. How did that new faith in your life begin? What was it that dawned in your life that convinced you this this is the truth, it's worth following? Well, I think the, the 10 years before that, I went to church. I, I did everything which I thought I should have done. One day I, I ran a marathon and the marathon actually started at the church. And I walked into the church and uh, I looked up and I saw the name of Jesus displayed against one of the boards and um, for me I experienced it was a, a voice speaking loud and clear to me and the voice said to me I am alive I I can't even remember what happened after that in fact people laughed at me and said I don't even know if I ran the race that day <laughs> oh, really? but that was the beginning of a huge change in my life I went to church that Sunday night and and it was a complete different experience than I wow. ever had um, people at my work phoned my wife and said, get him to the doctor, he's very sick. Wow. <laughs> so something deep, deep happened in my heart that day. Did that voice scare you at all? Because that's a very strange thing for many to hear about and experience. It was, it was something which I thought I believed and I did believe it in my, in my mind. I think that day it penetrated my heart yes. and, and it became alive in my heart. And it, it caused an immediate change in my life. And that was the beginning of a journey. And, and I worked in Johannesburg at that stage. It was about a 40-minute drive from where I stayed. And I remembered that first year, all I prayed every single day when I went to work was, God, you've got to give me a new heart. I don't know what is happening. I don't really know you. I'm learning to get to know you now. But one thing I know, unless you give me a brand new heart, I'm not going to make it. And that was my prayer for a year. And it wasn't long after that that you set about walking through six countries of South Africa. Tell us about that journey, what you found, what you learned there. Yeah, we got to a place where, where Carolyn, my wife, and myself decided that we didn't just want to continue with our lifestyle. And it was really not driven by anything but a deep passion that we realized that we've got fingerprints that's unique, it belongs to us, and we can choose where we wanted to put it. Because your lifestyle was very comfortable. Our lifestyles were comfortable and we lived good lives. But we just felt that 
if if we really believed that we are programs into the new Jerusalem, yes, a small window, time that we can have an impact. We didn't know how. I didn't know there were orphans. I didn't understand AIDS. Nothing like that. But we knew that we could change lives for people. And so I resigned and we sold a house and um, we we took our little car with three children under six um, to the dismay of many people and we started this adventure. And I went to the Bible college to study theology and development and my wife went to go and do nursing. And in that time period, I took a journey into Africa. I took a backpack and I started walking from South Africa and I went to Zimbabwe and Mozambique into Malawi into Zambia and I ended up in a Congo and I stayed in local villages and the reason for that walk was nothing else but Lord you've got to show me your heart you've got to give me something that is enough to carry me for the rest of my life I've got to understand the bottom line here And that's exactly what happened on that trip as I stayed in the villages and I discovered what was really happening in Africa. With those people who were dismayed at what you were doing, what did they say to you and what was your reply to them? I think, Lee, the the biggest thing was people were saying I was pushing the envelope. And you were. And I I guess I was, yeah. Yeah. They, They would say to me, it's good enough to, to go to church and to contribute, for example, towards missions or something. Um, they felt I put my family at risk. Um, they felt I was take it was too radical. Um, that was uncomfortable for them. And you, know? you said? I said, well, I've got to live by my conviction. And, and if I serve the God that I've got to know in the last few years, then I know I've got to push it further. And um, my comfort must be in him. I had a very vivid image of standing on a cliff. And I, knowing myself, and maybe that's because of me, but knowing myself, I said, Lord, as long as there's anything between me and the cliff, I will not be faithful to you. I said, I've got to know it's you. Nothing else. Nothing is going to be there to hold me back. And that was the beginning of my journey as I cried out and said, I want to walk with you. That requires an, an enormous amount of trust that God is real and is sufficient. Yeah, I guess uh, that the trust is something that comes as you walk it out every day. And I still got to do it. I am not there. You know, it's like giving faith is something you've got to practice every day. And if you don't do it for one day, you, you can feel it. Um, but it's, it's a love that made me do this. It was when I started seeing glimpses of my father's heart and I and I started realizing his promises are truly yes and amen. It really, really is there. But he wants to use us for other people. It's not about us. Once we're in the household, we become part of his business and his business is to bless others. And that was the thing that, that took me further than I could have gone. How long did your walk through those countries take? And what was it that arrested you so much that you thought, this is what God wants me to do? Well, I had a three-month period at that stage where I could just spend, it was part of my practical study um, where I could just walk into Africa. Um, I think the thing that gripped me the most in that time was, first of all, the suffering. I never, never knew the suffering that really took place. That was at the, the beginning of the first wave in AIDS where, where just people were just dying and there was no medication. And, and I just saw so much suffering happening in the villages. But it, it gripped 
me with that was faith that the people had in Africa and, and, and how they stood there. And in the Congo, I ended up in a Congo, Democratic Republic of the Congo. And I remember I stood with a group of women and they, they gave me this message. They said to me, tell our brothers and our sisters we are dying. And, and it was such a deep message for me personally at that moment that they shared with me the the pain and the suffering that they were going through. But yet I found deep faith, something I never experienced before when I went into these villages. And um, I went back home. I, <laughs> My family, we had $20 a month support at that stage. <laughs> so I knew nobody significant. I was just a little student studying at a Bible college. I said, God, how can you give me this thing? How could you allow these women to send me back with a message like that? And they're going to depend on me. And I, I had to go back. I had malaria and typhoid. I had no money. And I was actually very disillusioned. I thought, God, you showed this to me. And then you gave people hope to send me back with a message. And I don't even know how my own family was surviving while I was out here. Um, this is the pressure on me at that stage. I was at the low point at that stage. And then I crossed Bite Bridge. That was a border between Zimbabwe and South Africa. And it was midnight. I walked across that bridge at midnight. And it was the end of my journey. I went back into my own country. And halfway across that border, I stopped. And I looked back into Africa. And it was just pitch dark. And as I stepped back into Africa, I got the glimpses of the people I saw and, and the things I saw. And I felt Lee at that moment. God said to me, now I gave you my heart. You cried for that, I gave it to you. And that heart was very painful. I, my heart shattered that moment on the bridge as I thought of all the people in Africa and what I saw. Um, my heart broke. But it, it's, it's, it's not a broken heart with hopelessness. It's a broken heart underlying in a deep message of hope. I realized I didn't have to know anybody significant. I didn't need a million dollars. I've got a fingerprint. I've got the Spirit of God in me. And one by one, I can bring hope. So what was it that enabled you to be lifted out from that pit? And how did this work of Hands at Work in Africa begin? When I got home and I shared everything with Carolyn, uh, we didn't know what to do. So all we did, we just went to the closest village from where we stayed. And um, we started going to visit people in their homes. And, and we could only bath them. We prayed for them. We fetched water. And then we buried people. We buried people every day. And slowly, local Christians in the village started seeing what we were doing. And they said, could we join you? Could we walk with you? And there were times that we would find people that didn't eat for three days. And, and between us and the local Christians, we would go and buy what we would call a half loaf, a halver bread. And we'll go back to that house and we'll give him halver bread. And, and we started seeing hope in a hopeless situation. And that was the beginning of the dream. On Open Houseware with George Snayman, who's the founder of Hands at Work in Africa. George, I think it's probably worth getting you to explain to us in comfortable Australia. What are some of the dynamics at work in Africa that has made HIV AIDS the problem that it is there? Lee, if you look at, if you look at HIV and a the pandemic, then we speak about three waves. 
the first wave was what they called the invisible wave. And that was when millions of people became infected and nobody knew about it. So you couldn't see it. People weren't dying immediately. And even when people were dying, they were dying of so-called natural causes, for example, um, pneumonia or something like that. The second wave was when they realized people were dying by the thousands and there were no medication. And then the third wave is where we're in now. And this is the most devastating wave. And this is what they call the orphan wave. That's now where just millions of orphans are coming through the system in Africa, in the poorest places. And and the, the challenge of HIV AIDS is that it kills the economically active sector of society. So it leaves behind the, the old people and the young people. Now, of course, there's a lot of stigma part of AIDS. And, and, and people say, well, um, that's their lifestyle and, and, and that's why it happened and, and many reasons like that. But that's not for me or for you to debate. You know, For us who are saved by grace and we say, God, you saved us while we were sinners. And it gave us no option but to respond in compassion. So the, the big thing here is how do we respond in this time? So in practical terms, what do you do? What can you do for them? Well, what we decided is once we started seeing what was happening, we realized that there's a bottom billion people in this world. It's people that earn less than a dollar a day. Now, when I contextualize that to Africa, there are, there are parts in Africa, um, regions, that are so off the ladder, what we would say. In other words, they've got no choices. The children in those areas cannot choose if they want to be safe, if they want to go to school. Um, they, they've got no choices due to circumstances outside their control. So we decided we want to target those villages and those regions. And through the church, because we believe in the body of Christ, we say God has given us a mandate, He's given us a people, um, and we found the most amazing people wherever we go. And we are there to lift their hands and to support them and to say to them, let us get to those children that are off the ladder and let's bring hope. And through them, once they get on the ladder... It's, it's got a domino effect on the whole community because suddenly there's hope in a hopeless environment. What do you practically give them or offer them? Well, first of all, practically we say, when you look at a child that's off the ladder, they need three interventions to get them back onto that ladder. The first one is education. Um, apart from helping them to, to be educated, uh, if you look at, for example, an African girl that are super vulnerable, to get that child into school for five or six hours a day, it's a huge intervention to, to build resilience and safety for that child. The second one is food security. Um, we've got a through feeding schemes and through producing food and other uh, creative ways, we've got to provide food security. Um, too many children in Africa, especially girls again, put their bodies on the line every day so that their siblings can eat. So food security is the second one. And the third one is a huge one for us. That is what we would call basic health. But it is, it's a different concept from what you would see in Australia. Basic health would be we go into the homes and we visit them and we know them by name. The local Christians, we train them, we encourage them, we equip them. And they become beautiful feet. 
They go into the villages and they know the children by name and they become like parents to them. And that's obviously, that's huge. Yeah. And so that's the three services that we believe that's needed to get them back in the ladder. Why these people for you, George? Why the widows, the orphans, the dying people? Why not other good works, sure. worthy works? Sure. Sure. Why not evangelism? Well, let me just say, I, I, I absolutely believe in evangelism. And I really do believe that if you want to bring the gospel to somebody, you've got to get to know them. You've got to know them by name. You've got to respect them as people. You've got to honor them and, and, and walk the road with them. But why widows and orphans? Because it's so clear in God's word. From the patriarchs, even before the law, um, Job said, I made the widow's heart sing with joy. <laughs> Job said, if I've ever walked past one orphan, God can rip my right arm out of its socket. He made huge statements about how serious Job was. Then Psalms, we know David speaking about um, God's throne is established in righteousness and justice. And he's the father of the fatherless and a husband of the widow. That's how God is described, by the way. That's how it gets described in the Bible. And so we know if we go right into what Jesus, how much compassion he had, and John, the one who was loved by Jesus, saying we've got to share. John the Baptist, who say the axis at the root. It's very clear in God's word that he deeply loves and encourages us to reach specifically the widows and the orphans. That's his heart. George, I have no doubt that there are many great stories of encouragement, which I'd love you to tell us about in just a moment. But also there are the days of the great disappointment and great mm. discouragement. What keeps you going through those days? I think what managed to happen in my own life, Lee, was that I could understand adoption or the spirit of adoption where Paul say, we cry out, Abba, Father, because of that spirit of adoption. And so I think the Holy Spirit made it real to me and showed me how I was lost and how I was adopted, not just saved, but after my sins was forgiven, then my father said, now you're my son. And I, I caught that. And I came from South Africa. I'm a white South African, Africana, from the, the tribe that, that architected apartheid. And, and I always carried that stone around my neck once I got saved until I understood that all of us are actually like that without Christ. And so a huge love came into my heart that I'm a son adopted by my father. And that reality helps me to understand that it doesn't matter how many times people are faithful or grateful for what is happening. Um, I'm doing it because I experienced adoption. Great answer. So can you tell us a story, one particular story that might give us a particular insight into why this work is so important? There are so many, many stories that sure, yes. I would love to tell you, but um, I love stories of hope. Uh, one of the orphans recently came to us at Hands at Work Village. We live in a community also in Africa. Um, and he shared his story with us. His name is Elvis. And, and he was about nine years old when, uh, when we found him in one of the villages. His mum and his dad died. Even at that tender age, he was the eldest child in the family. And um, I'm quoting Elvis now. Elvis said to us, I remember the nights that I couldn't sleep on my pillow because my pillow was too wet with the tears that I cried for my mother and my father. He said, I remember the nights when I said to God, God, you threw me on a rubbish dump. 
and Elvis sharing that story, um, it was very emotional for us to hear that. And then he said, but then beautiful feet came into my house. And people said, Elvis, we know you by name. And Elvis, for the first time, somebody else knew his name and started believing in him and started bringing food to him and taking him to a youth meeting and started getting involved in Elvis' life. Now, the reason why Elvis came to share with us is because Elvis was in a village with us the day before. And he sat in a house, childhood household again, and it was so cold that the three children only had one blanket. As he walked in there and he looked at them and he took him right back to where he was. And he said to that boy, he said, there's hope for you. And he shared his story with him. And he gave hope to these boys. This is now a boy who's gone through all of that. Elvis is graduating this year from university. And he's going to spend his whole life going into communities where there's no hope. And he's going to share the story that there is hope. All that's needed is beautiful feet. What a great story of hope. Is there someone also who works alongside you in this work that you can tell us about, a story about them? Yes. Because they're (laughs) so important, vital for this work. Yeah, I think that's a great part of it. Um, Although Karen and I started off by ourselves, today Hands at Work is is a much bigger family in Africa and all over the world, but in Africa in particular. And what we do, Liz, we are all volunteers. So we've got three intakes a year where people can apply and come into Hands at Work and experience what's happening there. And many of those people stay behind for six months or a year. And after that, a number of them actually come back and say, I want to dig deep here with you guys. And so we've got a, a community of many people, volunteers, international people from different places like Australia. Um, and they join us. And that is the wonderful part because we want that to happen. It took me about seven years before I went to the first church outside Africa. And when I spoke in these churches, I discovered that the biggest need in these churches is that they need to rediscover the lost art of servanthood. And Christ came as a servant. Yes. He came as a servant. And, and so suddenly I realized that we need people to come and help in Africa. But the people need to come to Africa because Africa is bringing them back to Christ in the most basic, beautiful way of learning how to serve. And so people are coming from all over the world to to be part of that. We've got a couple with us right now, uh, Tyler and Alicia from Canada. They were traveling the world and they just ended up with us uh, for a few weeks and they came back for six months and now they came back for the third time indefinitely staying there. And Tyler was with me in Zimbabwe just last month. And to watch him staying in a hut with a grandmother and orphans and and sitting outside the hut with me in the full moon talking to about 60 orphan boys who, who, who heard that we were there in a village. And for the first time, those boys had men speaking to them and telling them, the world is at your feet. It doesn't matter if you grow up in a village. If you understand Christ, if you study hard, if you respect women, if you live a right life, the world is at your feet. And for Tyler, this Canadian, um, he he keep on saying, I came to serve, but I'm the one getting yes, served. Yes, I'm sure that's true. And so that's a wonderful part of hands. So as I said at the outset, if there are people who are listening to this conversation 
for whom I'd be hardly surprised if there wasn't a seed sown where they might say, you know what, I could do that. I could dip my toe in the water. Mm. Where should they go? What should they do? What would your advice be to them? Lee, we've got an office here in Australia, um, also manned by volunteers. Carly is heading it up, and Carly de Costa, she was part of our work in Africa for a number of years. But they can go to our website, www. Hands at work. It's not the at sign, it's AT. Yeah. Hands at work dot com dot AU. And they will have information on there on how they can get involved. And of course, just to say very briefly, prayer is obviously a huge, huge, huge part for us in our ministry. As um, we work in what I would call Satan's killing fields, he's trying to steal the children and, and, and he knows how close they are to our Father's heart. And so, Prayer is very big for us. I'm sure you'll also have the prayers of a lot of people tonight. Thank you. And uh, we'll put the website details up on our Open House Community Facebook page. George, it's been a great privilege meeting you and hearing your story. Thanks so much for joining us on Open House. Thanks for allowing me. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.